Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of chat, music, more besides over the next couple of hours. We conclude our series on mental health with Rhoda Smith today and she's talking about loss and grief. That's a little later on. Tommy Conlon's with me, a co-author of a new book about Don Tidy. Remember that kidnapping? 40 years ago it'll be this year. And Colette Nugent is popping in for a chat. She's pulling her last pint shortly. 40 years as a publican at the market bar. She has plenty of stories to tell. If you want to get in touch with us on the show today, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text gets directly to me here in the studio. But we start today with a man who's back on his old stomping ground. He's the former head of production here at LMFM Radio. He presented The Breakfast Show. Then he went on to greater things, producing Ray Darcy. Yes, and uh, more besides with Today FM. I remember him well with Eamon Dunphy on The Last Word. Ian Dempsey on The Breakfast Show. And he He's written as well for stage and theatre and more besides. But you know what? He's had a latent talent and it's come to the surface in the last few years. Martin Maguire, welcome back to LMFM Radio. Thank you very much, Jerry. Uh, delighted to be on the award-winning Jerry Kelly show. Congratulations on the Emeralds this year. Thank you so uh, much. A lot of stuff going on there in my past, all right. Oh, a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot indeed. But you're here today to talk about your painting. And this is a fantastic story. Let me ask you this. When you were at school, was art a subject or did you sketch or what did you do when you were a young fella? I grew up in Caribou Cross and when, if you wanted to do art, uh, if you went to the high school and you wanted to do art, you had to go to the convent. And I knew they were doing art in the, in the tech, it was called at the time, yes. uh, Inver College now. Uh, so I uh, made the decision to go to the, <laughs> to the school that no one else is going to. And I loved it. I had a great art teacher called Don Graham initially and then Margaret Rayburn. Um, and we did art. I love sketching and and pastels. I didn't I didn't paint ever, mm. uh, but uh, did quite well in the Leaving Cert in art and English, and uh, never painted since. <laughs> and and I went on, I, but obviously I, my English was good because study because I did a lot of writing and stuff. Yes, uh, and I went straight into radio in Big M and Big M was at the time in, in Pirates, and then when the legal station came along, did a false course. And ended up getting placed in LMFM, and I didn't leave for about fifteen years. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that, that's that's the story. So, art in secondary school. Yeah. Okay. And and, and nothing since, nothing at all. So no, then not, not. we roll on. You have this stellar career in radio and more besides, as I said. And 
was it pre-COVID something happened to reignite this? Tell us, tell us the story just, of what just happened. Before, just before COVID kicked in, myself and a former Today FM colleague, Paul Collins, uh, Paul is a production company, and we were trying out a few ideas. We were making a pilot programme and we wanted to make a pilot programme in RD, of all places. Mm. We wanted to tell the story of RD. I, I won't get into details of the story, but long story short, people were saying, you got to go and meet this guy. you got to go and meet Porrick Lynch. And every time I went to his house, the door was never answered. And Porrick, if, if you know him, he's in and around, he's out and about and all the rest of it. So I thought he was avoid, avoiding <laughs> me first. But we eventually met and I have to say, uh, Porrick's quite a straight talker. His artist, like, I mean, if you, if you, if you want to see Landscapes of Louth, I mean, Porrick Lynch's work is astonishing. And mm. there's hundreds and hundreds of them there. So that's, that's Porrick Lynch. He's now, he was 84 when I met him, he's 87 now. And he said to me when I was leaving, I wanted to conduct an interview with him. So we arranged all that and he said to me, do you ever, have you ever painted yourself? I said, no, no. I said, I was, you know, in school, I was, I was uh, good at art. I got an A in art. And he says, and what do your kids think of your painting or your drawing or your ability to draw? And I said, I've, I've never, never done it. And he said, "Well, you're a disgrace." He said, "You should have. You should be. You should not let that talent go to waste." Yes. So, out of spite, on the way home, I stopped at the shop. I actually was. I think it was. It could have been Little or Alley, and there was a sketch pad, and I brought it home, and I started that night, and brought it down to him the next day. He says, "Right, come down to me. I'll show you how to paint." And that's the story. Oh. And I've been going down to him on and off, you know. And he's he's very accommodating. Covid landed the TV or the scout or the program that we were making already got scuppered, uh, and I was doing this during Covid. And Porrick said, "Stick to the old portraits. You can do portraits, and you can do still life." And you never painted. Never, never saw an oil paint in my life ever. Before. No. And oil it's is your messy, Jerry. <laughs> Tinners, white spirits, you know, carpets get destroyed. So, uh, so I've, 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 um, I've plastic all over the floor of my studio now, and I'm allowed painting. Oil is your medium, and but yeah, oil, yeah, yeah, and you specialise in portraiture. And still life. Yeah. You've yeah. brought in two beautiful works here today. I just Thanks want to tell listeners to describe them. One is of the inimitable Mr. Tommy Tiernan, and the other is Paula McSweeney, who yeah. is uh, a presenter on Today FM. Yeah, and a good friend of mine. Yeah. And a good friend of yours. And they're absolutely beautiful. Now, I don't know Paula, right? But knowing Tommy through the medium of television and having interviewed him a few times, etc., watching him, you have captured him spot on, may Thanks. I say. Thanks. Spot on. It's the one that gets a lot of reaction. Uh, that one and the one I've done of Paula that yeah. I brought today, and the one I actually painted of Paula Lynch. But I'll talk about that later on. But 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 the one of um, I suppose the key thing for me is I don't get people to sit for for a portrait. I don't think anyone looks natural if they're sitting for four hours. Okay. Three times. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Uh, and secondly, um, I know I know Tommy from having worked with him over yeah. the years, and so I know his personality quite well. Mm. So I picked him because a free access to videos and the telly all the time. I hours and hours to watch, and I wanted to find a place with Tommy in full flight. And he, uh, I think I caught him quite well. Oh, there. the glint in his eye, yeah. the the smile. You can see his brain taking over there, so Absolutely. you can. So what you do is you take videos of your yeah. subjects and study them. Yeah, I will I'd just I'd sit with them and chat because at least I get to know them that way. So if I don't know you, if I look, I'd know you obviously for over the years, Jerry. But if yeah. I want to sit down and. and do a portrait with you I'd, I'd set up a video camera doesn't matter what the background is don't worry about that so I can have a conversation uh, get to know a bit of the personality but more importantly what happens is over the over that hour of video what I'll get is 
that bit of the glint in your eye because if I ask you to pose for a, you'll put on the face and you'll say and you won't look at all natural <laughs> so that's what it's about yes. and I think people who see the Paula one I brought that today because people might necessarily know Paula yeah. but when they see the thing they, they'll I think they'll get a good idea of her personality. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, it comes to the fore as well. And uh, again, the, the way she's looking there, oh, mm. they're superb. Uh, you, you sent me a, 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 ro- a rolling uh, video of many more yes, of your yeah. uh, portraits, etc. And, and the still lives. I just want to talk about a couple of them for a moment. I do want to go back to Parik Lynch, the artist painted. You painted Parik Lynch himself at work. I love that painting. Right. Yeah, I don't know I what do you too. think of it. Do I, you? I'll tell you. I'll tell. Okay, so so I, I did the video of Boric and I said I wanted to, and I tried to take pictures of him, and and, I, and like I'm so naive of me, you know, a year into learning how to paint to decide I was going to draw a guy who'd been painting for sixty years. So luckily, I it didn't it didn't put me off. I did it anyway. And whilst there's a lot of naivety, and when Porrick saw it, he says, oh, you've done your hands wrong, you did this wrong, I did and, and it wasn't, because that's what Porrick always does in my work, he says this, and then he'd say at the end of it, but who am I to tell you? Mm. Which is the most generous thing you can get from somebody like that. He's saying, I stand over what you do and I appreciate what you do. So he has that painting in his house. I'm delighted because it looks like him. He says, every time I look at that painting, he says, I see my father in it. So that's brilliant. They're, they're the bits that you go and anyone when I've got it framed, the guys in the framers and frame and art who look after all my stuff, uh, Connor and the gang down there, they all went, that's that's Porrick. Mm. And I said, and did the paintbrush give it away? But that is some tribute for him to say that he sees his dad in that painting. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Let me talk about some of your um, still lives as well that I, I particularly like. I I love the all sorts, you know, the, the, oh, the, the sweets, pa- yeah. of the sweets. That really caught me. And the one of the lemons. Yes, yeah, yeah. I did a series of, um, there's a series of those. If you if you come along to the exhibition, there's f- six. I'm going to do 12. I think I think there's a calendar in it. Great. But there, what the arrow is, I, I made a light box. And a light box for people to know is just a black box. And you put a light in from various angles. and you can, So I wanted to practice with it. So I decided I'll, just, I'll do my garlic, a piece of garlic and a garlic crust just to practice. Mm. And I liked the idea of, it looked like a boxing ring almost. And there was a confrontation and the garlic, which was still whole, was about to get crushed by the crusher. Mm. And I said, right, okay, there's something going on there. So then I got all these tools that you use to, you know, take apart food, vegetables. Yes. And I put them in conflict. And so there's a series of them. So if you come to the exhibition, there's six, I think, there at the minute. Exhibition is happening. Just remind them while we're in the, while you mentioned it. So there, it's in it's the market house in Dunlear, fabulous building in Dunlear, uh, and it's on tomorrow night is the opening. At seven o'clock to nine, for a free glass of wine, and uh, all day we probably get to see the work better Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> Sunday yeah. ten to six. People can call in and and, and look at your leisure, yes. uh, because I think it's probably going to be a packed morning. Oh yeah, it's well worth checking out. So that is the Market House in Dunlear opening tomorrow, but Saturday, Sunday, uh, ten to six. Uh, go there and see this man's brilliant work. I, I want to come back to a couple of others that jumped out. The ring on the cooker brought me back to our house and yeah. me growing up. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's, see, this is the one, I suppose this is the side side um, element to what I do. Look, I love doing still lifes because there's a story there. All mm. my still lifes have a story. I can't, if I paint a picture of a lovely mountain, I, I can't tell a story. But in all, like with the all sorts, the all sorts are in what looks like a kind of a chalicey thing and I did that because I, I think 
we eat so much crap food nowadays. I, I kind of guess there's an element of 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 you know a bit of social commentary in a way, saying that we sort of we, we put this food stuff, these sweets and stuff, up up on a bit of a pedestal, and then. Uh, you know, there's the one of, of the two glasses, and there's a flower, and it's uh, it's it's in the water, and it's it's just about to get into the water, yes. and the jug beside it with the water has spilled over, and the jugs in the ground, and the flower is looking, looking down, down trying to yes. get it. So, still life gives me an opportunity to tell a story. Yeah, and that's what you've always been—a storyteller yes. all your well, life. I'm glad you picked that up. I that's- absolutely love this, and I have to mention it. And it's tied in with where you live now. And we mentioned the market house in Dunlear. It's Lanlair GFC and the O'Neill's football, and yeah. it just sums up with Lanlair written indelibly on the ball in case. It goes somewhere. So, the club can't afford to yeah, lose that ball. In, Any club. In, in case the Tower lads try to nick it after the <laughs> yeah. match. But but so what I want you to do there, I'll, I'll tell you a story, but that's really interesting. There's a, there's a, everyone probably knows um, Nicky Malone, the Butcher Malone, who was Louth captain when they won won the league uh, all those years ago. Yeah. Uh, and his son Dara's a brilliant footballer. My son Jack plays on that team as well. And we were invited to his 21st. So I go, like, Jerry, when was the last time I was at 21st? What do you? And my wife said to me, "You're not painting him a picture, are you?" And I said, "I have a good idea to paint a picture." So I went down to with my son because I played football to a decent enough level back in Monaghan, right? And everyone recognises the classic GA ball with the All Ireland written on it, and the look and the mentor who goes around with the bag, and he is handwritten in a blue marker the name of the yes. thing. And I said to myself. When I pay, I so I went down to the pitch, put the ball, and I put it in a place where he'd be taking, for example, maybe taking a free kick, and practice free kicks. So all it is there is him, the dressing room's in the background, and the the goalposts. But I think any club in Ireland will recognise anyone who's ever kicked the ball. Yes, and that painting is called for the players. Yeah. So he has that. I have the original. I gave him a copy of that. That's a framed copy for his birthday. He. I'm told he loves it, uh, and uh, so I mean I've t-shirts made of it and everything. I think it's I think it's. I and think with it's that, did you just take a snap of the ball? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah, set, and worked the, from that. Yeah, yeah, I set up yeah. the composition there because obviously I wasn't going to lie <laughs> on the pitch. But, the, but it's taken from. But it's just, just that idea of tapping into. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, oh, they're absolutely beautiful. Martin Maguire is exhibiting his brilliant artwork in Dunleer this weekend. You've got to go along and see it. It's just. Outstanding, I have to say, and he's my guest here on Late Lunch uh, this afternoon. Again, it's opening on Friday night at the Market House in Dunlear and goes on Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 6. Do check it out. Are you selling anything at the weekend? Or, you know, there's ones you won't part with, I know. So basically, basically, the main thing is to get people to see that there's someone who does portraits. Uh, that's that's really what... So, you know, going forward, I can, I can build up that end of things, you know. There are some still lives, and obviously you can get prints of everything. Yes. But the main thing that... I, and I, I have a poster on the wall I put it up today and it talks about art being free and I say this to people all the time one of my favourite things in the world to do is go to the National Gallery there's no admission price I can sit there for an hour in front of Caravaggio's The Taking of Christ for an hour and no one can stop me and it's a it's a 400 year old painting yeah. stunning so People can go. I always tell people, art is free. Go and look uh, on your Twitter accounts or your Facebook. Follow artists, and they'll give you their work for free. You can look at it on your phone. And what happens is that as the word spreads, artists will find people who can afford to buy maybe an original piece or who can afford to buy, um, you know, a, a print or a framed print, or whatever. Mm. And that's how you, artists love 
to be loved in a way. Do you know what I mean? I think that's really important. Obviously, they need to make a living as well. But, you know, not everyone's going to come to an exhibition. I'd love to pay 500 quid for a pen. You can't do it. But you might buy a print or yes. you might yes. spread the word. And that's really... That's the idea behind yeah. this exhibition. I, I'm going to say something to you. You're talking to a big fan here of Portrait Artists of the Year yeah. on Sky Arts. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You got to enter that. <laughs> Panic! No, I, w- I wouldn't. You got to enter that. I'm, I'm just saying to you, you got to enter that. Give that a go. It's you know you've come back to this. I I see what you have, the ability, the talent. They're always Irish people. Rep- we're represented on that, as you know, yes, all that's the time. Right, yeah. Go for it. Uh, that's, I'm just leaving it with you. Go for it sometime. Leave it with, Please leave do. It I'll leave it with it's you. Either, it's, it's either that or Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I tell you, forget about that right. muck. No, no, it's great. It's a great show. It's fantastic. I, I actually watched no, it. Not. I watched it for a season and then I copped on. Anyway, um, what was it to say? Just back to the portraits. Uh, you know, you have Iggy O'Donovan, the famous priest. Tommy you have here as well. Stevie McCardle, I love. Uh, the Three Sisters. i got to mention Dom the Barber. Yeah. The beard. Yeah. You're after telling me. It's he gone. He shaved it off. He shaved it off ahead of the exhibition. He was supposed to come out and stand beside it and he shaved the beard off. <laughs> oh, but no. Yeah, the thing about it is, I said, Dom came out to see the painting. I always show people before I show anyone else. I asked him to go out and have a look at it. And he looked at it and he said, oh my God, you've got me eyes. And if you look at the portrait, you can't see his eyes. Because what, 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 the way Dom works, the way his, he holds his head... I mean, there was an hour like that's my son in the in the portrait that he was shaving his head, and I spent a, a near, nearly an hour with him. And I know Dom for thirty years. My kids are now going to get with a haircut, Dom, and uh, I just know how he looks. And I waited all through that video, and I found that's that's Dom. And he said, "That's me." And I said, "I know." I know. <laughs> and he's going to go out and stand beside. He was going to go out with the beard. So there's no point in standing beside it. Now you've shaved it off. No beard before yeah. and after. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. Oh my. It's uh, it's terrific. But look at when you look at what I mentioned at the start, where you've worked, started here onto Today FM, worked on television, the production of uh, the movie. What about Love Is the Drug, the TV series as well, and more besides. This is creativity. This is. It's all art, isn't it? You said it. It's. It, I don't see people say, oh, why are you doing this now? Why are you doing that? It's all storytelling. Yeah. It's just a different way. And if you have the tool at your fingertips, which I didn't realise I had the tool at my fingertips, which was to be able to paint, uh, then then it's just another story. And I don't see the point. And I admire people who do landscapes. I admire people who do abstract work. I just can't do it. I have seen no point in picking up a paintbrush yeah. unless I can tell a story. Terrific. Anyway, the Market House Dunlear this weekend, Saturday and Sunday between 10 and 6, Martin Maguire exhibits. I love it. Thank you very much, Jerry. And I Continued success. Keep at this and we'll be watching you on Sky. Don't worry about that. We will someday. I know it. Coming up after two and late lunch, Colette Nugent drops in. She's pulling our last pint after 40 years, but heading up towards top of the hour two news and weather on the way in the the company of the script. The Beatles released their final song just around now. It may be out there even at this moment in time. It's called Then and Now. We're keeping an eye on that for you anyway. After all these years, imagine, no pun intended there. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and I'm delighted to say hello to my next guest. She's a familiar voice on LMFM because she's been spokesperson for the Witness Association on numerous occasions over the years. You will have heard her with Michael Reid in the mornings and she's been my guest too. And she's back with me today because you see Colette New 
Nugent is about to pull her final pint after nearly 40 years in the business. You're welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you, Jerry, and thank you, LMFM. And, of course, congratulations to LMFM for their... Uh, new uh, more awards you have recent awards you've got that so congratulations thank you very much indeed I appreciate yeah, final pints final pints kind of, your final pints when are you finishing up in the market on, bar I hand over to the lovely Brown family on uh, Monday the 13th of November so just not shy of two weeks left and your dad came there early 80s Noel yes. Senior yeah Noel Daddy Noel came uh, with my mother Evelyn she was a Monaghan woman Daddy was from Drogheda and they came in mid-80s there. Um, we were in Castle Blaney in Monaghan before that. And in Lobenstown, we built the pub in Lobenstown, Mary Duff Country. My father built the pub down there. But that's a whole other show, oh, that yeah. pub. That's, yeah. And it's still there. And they were all in visiting me there last Sunday night. So there was tears and boo-hooing and hugging and kissing for that. But uh, yeah, so my father was a Drogheda man and uh, we came there in the 80s. But... By trade, initially, he was a builder and decorator and painter and decorator. So I don't know how they get into the pub trade, but uh, if he was alive today now, <clears throat> we would be... He would be 65 or 68 years old in the trade. Really? Yeah, yeah. In the 50s, they went to England, to Bristol, and then they came back to Ireland. And uh, exactly. the rest is history, as you said. Yeah. I remember your dad and the sadness of his passing yeah. during COVID. It yeah. was shocking, wasn't it? It was absolutely horrendous. But, you know, I don't think we would have coped otherwise. <laughs> the crowds that arrived wrongly and illegally at the time outside on the street was just mm. unbelievable. I remember um, Aidan Townley uh, saying to me at the door as we were going out from the pub, because I brought him home, we waked him at home in the pub, uh, which he'd have loved. He would have loved of that centre of attention in the middle and uh, Aidan says whatever you do don't look just keep your head down and go which I did myself my brother and my sister and we just kept going because the crowds outside was phenomenal um, but it was a huge loss to us uh, but at the time as I said to somebody recently Jim Kavanagh's wife died Anne I said it's no comfort to you now but it will be in time because they went off he went off he, the death of an emperor really because he just went off in the night and oh. that's what he, he deserved to get, have yes. that you know yes. he was a great man great man oh my god I can only Im Im imagine what it would have been like with doors fully open and everything functioning so oh it would have sure it would be a three ring circus oh, yeah. oh for Absolutely, sure yeah. that, that left you really running the place subsequently yeah well I came back from London about 23 years ago so I was running it with him yeah. all that time anyway so I mean the blueprint was there and the old adage is if it's not broke don't try to fix it which I didn't so I just continued to do so the last three years on my own but it was on my own and it was it's different it's very difficult if you're doing it if you're a one man show um, like anybody that's in the trade will tell you you know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard job it's 24-7 365 and if you're not there you know the proverbial hits the fan as they say yes so it was great when myself and my father was there because he'd blame me and I'd blame him. <laughs> and that was the way it was, a very successful recipe. Um, but of course, it just changed. It, it's the funniest feeling. Even now people come in and they look from in the corner and they say, everything seems the same, but it's completely not. Mm. And it's like that with any death in the family. Yes. But it was a shock to us, obviously. But, um, you know... Has this made your mind up, really, that he's not around? Well, you had two yeah, and you could get a bit of time oh, off. Oh, without that. a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. Daddy Noel was still there, I'd be going nowhere. 110%. But he's not there. And, you know, time is marching on. And um, uh, Gary and Sinead and Ronan approached me. And, you know, we thought about it. And, no, I wouldn't. And left it and came back again. And obviously, you know, 
as the fella says, all the stars was aligned and the planets and everything. And of course, then the post office went in next door to the old bookies and I'm going, whoa, this is all going too fast, you know. And but all of a sudden it was just like a weight lifted off me because yeah. I have no time to be. And people laugh when you say this because vicariously I live my social life through your social life coming into the bar. So now I have time. My brother Noel will be delighted to hear now that I'm going to torture him and poor Brenda because they'll see much more of me and my sister in Coventry because I never get to have time with them. Yeah. Even when she'd come to visit, I'm always my usual contrary, hateful self, having time to go for a cup of coffee. So. I just thought now's the time for me to go and do these things mm. because, you know, we're all going to we're all going to one place. Some, you know, unfortunately sooner than others. But uh, I think absolutely with him not being there was the de- the deciding factor for me. And I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to see what the Browns are going to do. Mm. Um because they'll be doing a completely different, they'll be doing back to what we used to do years ago, the day trade, yes. uh, you know, and the night and the evening trade. They're not changing anything in the bar. Still going to be live music. We're still going to have the rock and roll bingo, please God, with Jim Cavanagh and the same faces. And we're going to bring a few more new people and young people into it. Because uh, the market bar reinvented itself after COVID. We've had all these new, young people and young football groups in. And I, I used to sit there at the dark of the night and say, my father, if he was here looking at this, this fellow with his foot in the stool or some young one come in with her short dress on her or something and you'd hell with the laughing and it was just wonderful the sign of the times that it goes on because you know all dad's customers were either sick dead or dying so we they have to be replaced because mm. that's the nature of the business and that's just the way we are it's a it's refreshing to hear you welcome it and look forward to it and the change that's coming for you even though it's a huge change listen to this uh, message is coming to me if you want to send Colette a message 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text be gentle Jerry. I don't know Colette personally but herself and Wayne Harding were brilliant through COVID on LMFM I'm so sad that the market bar is changing hands I wish Colette every happiness and good luck in the future that's lovely from Maggie to you this afternoon um when you think of when you come in, let's say around 1985 or so, I was just looking, the cost of a pint was a euro and 52 cent in 1985, a pint think of Guinness. Think about that. Think of the, the What's a pint of Guinness today? Five odd? It's 5.30 in the market bar. Okay, so look at that. That's since 85. Yeah. Huge change yeah. there. The, the the prominence of takeaway beer, you know, this whole future, the future mm. of Irish pubs. How do you feel about that, the way that's gone? I've never been an advocate of that. I've never, you know, banged that drum. I really don't. And the reason being, and it's easy for the listeners to to think, oh, well, it's, you know, naturally, why would she say that? Because at the end of the day, you know, she's in the trade. And going to my ethos on that is, if you're coming for a drink, you are in a controlled environment, in licensed premises, insured in premises, uh, and you're going to be looked after. Whereas if I'm going to Jerry Kelly's house after the wherever I've been, we're going to be drinking bottles of wine till it comes out of our ears and someone's going to end up in a heap. So it's a controlled, you know, moderate way of doing it. I'm not saying you don't get drunk in a pub. You know, that's all part and parcel of it. But I didn't like it. And I was always giving out especially during COVID, how all these supermarkets were permitted with licences to, to advocate, oh, your home bar for whatever it may have been. I just didn't understand that. But I do understand it. It's a cost analysis. So if I am at home and I have a mortgage and car payments and children and there's two of us in a house or whatever it may be, you just can't do it because it's taxis and it's babysitters and all those things and all those connotations that comes into it. 
But there's nothing like Irish people. If you were to t- discuss this or you were to transplant me to Azerbaijan and I'm having this with another radio host, he'd look at me like I have 40 heads. But Irish people, we gravitate to the pub. We go when we're happy. We go there when we're sad. We go there to complain and bitch about Jerry Kelly on LMFM and all those type of things. So that's what we do in a pub. And so we need it. And it's it's vital part of a community, a pub. Mm. We're not just there to sell drink. I'm the agony aunt. I'm the bank manager. I'm the, pr- I'm the parish priest. I'm the confidant. I'm all those things and more. And unprofessional at all of them. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we are. And people forget about that. And, and, and rural pubs now have reinvented themselves. Yes. They're phenomenal now. It's mm. great. Pubs that were nearly, you know, defunct, dead and dying. They're coming back now. So you're floor. confident about the future of the pub? Oh, without a doubt. It's, That's why I'm saying to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you can see me. I'm nearly levitating here with the excitement to see what the Browns are going to do. <laughs> because they're just going to make it bigger and better and brighter. And, you know, there's nothing like an Irish publican to reinvent themselves. Mm. At the same time, there's nothing like an Irish publican to circumnavigate a few rules. Rules are there to be bent and, you know, a little bit, a little bit of bend and there's no harm on it. But the future is very much bright for the, for the licence and trade. Um, when you think of the changes, one of the big changes in your time was the smoking ban. Like that, it, I, what, did yeah. you, you know, be, standing behind a barn being bombarded with smoke and the mm. smell of your clothes and everything, surely it was a oh, godsend sure The eyes would be stinging in your head. It was horrendous. But we all thought, I listen, a funny story very quickly. I know just because we're probably against the clock. I remember the last night of it and dad got myself and barmaids and other customers that was there and we all done a procession and Gary Murphy and Kevin Donnelly, the Monday club, this f- famous Monday club that dad and the two boys started playing. Dum, 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 dum. They were doing the death march through the bar with all the ashtrays because it was banned. It was That was the night of it. They went out one door, came back in the other, lit up the fag and sat down with my father, you know. But we all thought, oh, that was it. It was going to be the death knell of it. Going to, that was it. The pubs were finished. Pubs was finished. Not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. Not it a bit of it. It took us time. Yes. So if, if you and I were out for a drink and I'm the smoker, I'd go out the, wherever for the cigarette and you were left sitting on your own for a mm. while. But invariably, you decided to come out. But all the smoking areas are now beer gardens. Yes. You know, that's yeah. another argument. Don't get me started on that we'll one. We'll come back to that in a minute. Stay with, stay in that chair for a few more minutes, will you? Isn't she fantastic? But she is pulling our final pint uh, in a few days' time. Colette Nugent is with me on Late Lunch for the Market Bar. She is leaving, but the pub goes on for sure. And she's so happy about it, as you've been hearing. Let me read some of the messages. Best of luck, uh, Colette, on your upcoming retirement. Sure, you're about that age now anyway, says Mick in the flower studio in Dundalk. Whatever you do, don't buy flowers from the flower (laughs) studio in Dundalk. You just wait, Mick Hand. (laughs) I love it. Look at all these. What a lovely person Colette is. We go back a long time, says John Connolly today. Uh, There's one from Lobenstown to say the very best of luck to you, Colette, from everybody in Lobenstown. Um, Jerry, I don't know your guest either, but I've always admired her greatly when she's been on LMFM radio. That comes in from Al today. Best of luck, Colette, from all at St. Oliver's, Lobenstown. Mount St. Oliver's, Lobenstown. You know who they're talking about. Yeah, Another one there. I moved to Drogheda 23 years ago and the Market Bar was the first pub I went to and it became my local bar. I now live in Dundalk and the Market Bar is still my local. You will be missed, Colette, says a listener there. And another one. All the very best, Colette, to Colette in our new ventures. And it's it's just, it goes on and goes on. They oh love you. God. They love you and they're going to miss you. Who they knew really, I was really, so popular? Well, there you are. You see, that's <laughs> when it happens when you decide to say goodbye. In, in terms of, you know, being a landlady, which you wear for the last three years and, and keeping order in a pub 
have and the other thing I want to say here today is and I'm hearing this all the time I've no knowledge of it because I've never used it in my life cocaine in pubs well, anybody that thinks it's not happening on their licensed premises is either delusional or just, you know, denying it. It's there. It's endemic. It's another pandemic and it's there all the time. The problem with that is that it's a, it's a sign of the, the surplus cash because when people have got that extra cash to shove it up their nose or wherever they're doing it, I mean, it's just ridiculous. But it, it is in every premises and you just have to police. You know who's who, you know, you know within reason, You'll know if there's a, a situation going on, either they're not drinking the same way or whatever. But it's a very, very, very dodgy area, a grey area to be in. You have to be very careful on it. Have, have you told people to get out in your time? Have you? Have, oh, you know? there are stories there that I couldn't repeat on the radio. I would be arrested for. I have no problem um, uh, telling them and, and, and shaming them. You know, I have seen them, you know, a customer came out of the toilets, told me something was going on. I went into the toilets and caught them doing it. Literally stopped the music and frog marched them out in front of everybody. You're a brave woman. I Well, I'm probably a stupid woman because, you know, you shouldn't be doing things like that. But the reality is once they know it wasn't tolerated, I'm not saying they're still not doing it. But, you know, if they are, they're being very discreet about it. But it is there and it's in every pub and it's not young people. Let's get that very clear. We're quick to vilify the young and the youth. It's not them. They might be on them bloody vapes and all that crap and maybe a bit of wacky backy, as my father used to call it, the Mariana. But, you know, no, these are all middle aged to older people that's doing this. It's not something that publicans ever welcome you, you don't Never. want this on no, your no 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 there's listen there's the old adage is you have to control it you have a duty of care to look yep. after your customers on the premises so like i said back at the beginning of the show you know it's my job as the licensee to make sure you're in a safe clean uh, environment that you're if you've chosen to come in and spend a fiver with me the very least i can do is offer you is a safe clean welcoming environment and a good pint and that's my job. So invariably, I will on busy nights, week, bank holiday weekends, I would always have the door closed a half or 40 minutes beforehand because whoever has chose to come to the market bar are in for the night. I'm not going to have anybody else coming up or down the town to annoy you that has a few drinks and them do no harm, but they'd be a bit, you know, messing, yes. plumazzy. Yes. And I would never go off shift. If I had a busy day in the bar and I had an event on or even that evening, I don't leave until those last people are gone. And you have to... Not to be crude about it or rude about it, you have to corral. If you put a group of people together and then you put in alcohol into that pot of mixture, that recipe, that is a recipe that you have to be very careful and keep it on a low simmer and let it burn nice and slowly and watch it and monitor it and cut that person off and, you know, control that one. That's the way you have to do it. Because it's a fine line. Jerry Kelly and all his mates and his family's been in the market bar all day drinking and now I've refused one of his best mates a pint and he's only a little bit spantled. So I'm offending you now. Mm. So it's a fine, it's a fine it line. certainly is. You mentioned the pint there. Our- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
customers taste really Catholic in Ireland? Because I see it with the crowd I drink with. They drink Guinness all the time, or they drink Smithics, or they drink a lager, and they're loyal to that. You know, I'd be a, I'd love to try different things of like that. Yeah. But the big brands dominate still. The brands are, are, are regional. So yeah. we would have, um, I was only talking about this recently, you know, Guinness and Smithics, Coors Light are huge still in this area. Mm. Um, um, but you could go downtown and we'll say Hop House 13 would be busy. Uh, you know, I'm g- given Diageo's getting a great spin here. Uh, that'll be another free keg. Thanks there, Diageo. Me, me rep is listening. Okay, Heineken's great as well. Lovely Coors Light and Heineken draft there. Uh Ray the Barman will be getting a new Heineken jacket there, probably. Uh, but, you know, if you go down to Dundalk, it's Harp or it's... Uh, or if you go down to Cork, it's Beamish or it's Murphy's. So it's it's regional. Okay. But we are very much... Our age group, as the lovely Mick Han just told me, an old one like me, we tend to stick to what we know. Yes. But the younger people... Will try. Are, oh, they're What about the craft breweries, breweries and the smaller ones and that? Big business. You know I mean? Yeah. But do the big guys try to trample on them? And no, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. It's all, all good. good. Oh, okay. yes. Okay. Yes, That's they're quite happy hear. with that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, I, no, I really no. am. But um, what will you miss most? Um, I think the interaction with people. Getting sad now. Ah, you are. I just see you. Yeah. I just see the tears. I the know. live music. Yeah. Your friends. Yeah. It's, I'm 46 years selling drink. 46 years. My brother and I were in Castle Blaney. And I can remember him helping me on a crate behind the counter to hand out a bottle of Guinness. And so myself and Noel has been reared in the trade. Mm. And it is a big thing. It is. But that doesn't mean that I'm <laughs> not going to run out the door like my hair's on fire. <laughs> Goodbye. Good luck. <laughs> um, but it's a huge thing. You know, yeah. um, I talked about briefly, we are probably the second longest licensees there. That's another historic thing. Yeah. Um, because we can go back to uh, the, the, the Downies and the Johnsons. They were there. back. The pub was there 1830. So, you know, we're the second longest after those yeah. that were registered as licensed. The first license registered was 1872. So, uh, you know, we had obviously uh, uh, Jack Johnson sold it to, um, we had Brendan Byrne and Kevin, Thor- uh, Kevin Thornton and who's the other one? Brendan Byrne, Johnson, Jack Johnson. Yeah. And then the Nugents. My God almighty, it goes back. That's a story for another day. That is a story for another day. I am going to come back day. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To conclude today, the messages are flying in here for you. They love you, they'll miss you, but they're all wishing you well. And thank you for being the most hospitable woman behind the bar that so many people have come across. Jerry, just before I go, I want to say thank you to all the people that's come into the bar. And, you know, they came in as customers and they left as family and uh, and we thanked them. And for my staff to marry and Ray and Louise and the the, the poor suffering, long suffering Tony Murphy has put up with us. And uh, uh, to my lovely family, watch out because I'm coming to visit. But thank you for a deep, heartfelt thank you to all the customers over the years of the Market Bar. Uh, and I haven't gone away. And contrary to Mick Hand, I'm not retiring. I just sprout up somewhere else. You will Thank indeed. you so much, Jerry, and to LMFM. Not at all. Colette Nugent, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for joining me on the show. Arden Maguire was with us top of the show about his brilliant artwork and his website. If you want to see what we were talking about, it's called 23 Colours. That's 23 Colours is Martin's website. Check him out Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and across social media. Now, 
Do you remember the kidnapping of Don Tidy? Well, this November, uh, to be precise, uh, it'll be 40 years on the 24th of the month. It was November 24th in 1983 when supermarket executive Don Tidy was kidnapped. A new book out about the whole drama and all that surrounded it is called The Kidnapping. It's co-authored by Irish Times journalist Ronan McGreevy and my next guest on the show. Brilliant sports writer. I love to read him in the Sunday Independent, Tommy Conlon. Tommy, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, uh, Jerry, and to your listeners. Thank you for joining me on the show. I was just thinking ahead of our conversation today. I can remember those times well, but 75, Tita Herriman was kidnapped. Then there was an attempt to kidnap, I know, Ben Dunn in 82. Shergar, the famous horse, went missing in 83. Right. And then later that year, it was, of course, Don Tidy. They were shocking times, weren't they? Yeah, they were, Jerry, and it's uh, and it's uh, only going back uh, through them with the, with the benefit of hindsight and perspective, and and digging down into the archives and the newspaper reports and television and that that you you kind of you, maybe you need the benefit of time and distance to kind of start to understand how strange they were, how volatile they were, you know, and how upsetting they were for a, for a lot of people. It, it, it was there was. Uh, it was unstable, volatile times. Mm, it was. Wh- why was Tidy kidnapped? What was the purpose of it? What did the IRA hope to achieve? Um, put simply, uh, a ransom. Um, they demanded uh, five million pounds punts from his employer's Associated British Foods. They were a big uh, international retail conglomerate, and they owned uh, the soup uh, Quinsworth. Uh, chain of supermarkets in Ireland. Mr. Tidy was the uh, uh, managing director and chairman of the Quinsworth Group in Ireland, and uh, that was simply the reason. It was a financial operation. Um, now, his kidnapping in broad daylight, they set up a, a bogus guard at checkpoint, and he was gone. When you read the book and, and try to understand this for people who didn't live at the time or are not familiar with the story, it looked like it was um, all over the place when it comes to the uh, the state forces trying to locate this man. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the saga, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, he was uh, snatched from his car uh, on November the 24th. He was bringing his daughter uh, to school, his teenage daughter to school. And it, it wasn't really known at the time, and maybe not since either. Don Tidy was actually a widower at the time. His, his wife, the mother of his three children, had died in 1980 from, from leukemia at, at, at a tragically young age. So he was, uh, he was, uh, so there was that sort of personal mm. um, kind of agony for the children that their, their remaining parent was abducted. Um, and then um, he was. Uh, Taken, taken out of Dublin and transferred in, uh, into a number of different vehicles along the way, and ultimately uh, he ended up uh, being kept in a forest in uh, County Leitrim uh, for 23 days, and and it, it prompted the biggest manhunt between Gardaí and soldiers in the history of the Irish state. It did. But as I come back to the point, it seemed to be disjointed. They didn't see, and that comes through as well, that even round the time when they got in uh, close to the guys who, who kidnapped him, or even when they freed Tidy as well, the operation seemed to be all over the place. Yeah, I mean, um, the, December the 16th, finally, 
finally they found the needle in the haystack, the uh, uh, Gardaí and soldiers, and a search party of about 25 Gardaí and soldiers came across the hideout, the gang, in uh, in a clearing in this uh, in Dorado Wood, and um, there was uh, they, they hesitated. I guess they wanted to give the um, kidnappers, I guess, a chance, and and and, and uh, the security forces were observing, uh, I guess, the uh, rules of engagement, and uh, they shouted in warnings uh, or asked the uh, kidnappers to identify themselves, and immediate immediately gunfire was returned, and uh, Garda Gary Sheehan and Private Patrick Kelly were shot dead, and the kidnappers then detonated a stun grenade, and in the confusion and chaos, they managed to make their escape. And uh, it, it was, it, uh, albeit that Mr. Tidy was rescued, it came as a tremendous price to the Gardaí and to the army, and indeed there were long, long recriminations and uh, um, investigations into what went wrong. Yes, and you know that that lost life of those two young men, a Garda and um, a soldier. Your book really breaks new ground there in terms of their families and and what you've uh, uncovered talking to them. And the other aspect, of course, is Don Tidy really never talked about this up until now, and you had access to him, and he was so forthcoming about the whole thing. Those are the points that really came to me from the book as well that are are new, building on everything that's been done before. The impact can't be underestimated, Tommy. Yeah, it was. It was. Um Absolutely shocking, actually, and and uh, to understand. I mean, the Kellys, uh, Private Patrick Kelly was thirty six at the time. He left uh, a widow and four sons. The old, the, the oldest of whom was nine, the youngest of whom was ten or eleven weeks, and it was devastating for them. And this, you know, this this uh, we may, may be familiar with this idea of intergenerational trauma. But uh, but when it, it, for me it was more of an abstract concept until you sit across a kitchen table from say the Kelly brothers in their house in Moat uh, in County Westmead and you hear them tell their story and they become and they become the embodiment the living example for me anyway of intergenerational trauma and how something that happened forty years marked every day of their life since. And similarly with Gary Sheehan's family in Carrick, Macross and Monaghan. What about Don Tidy himself all these years on? It's, it's, it's had to leave a mark, you know, 23 days in captivity, not knowing whether you're going to live or die, thinking about your children, as you said, that had no mother. Do the marks still remain with him today as deeply? Um... You know, I, I wouldn't presume to speculate on, 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 on Mr. Tidy, sort of how he handled it psychologically. Uh, he, he's, he, uh, I, 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 I think, and perhaps even by his own admission, he was an English gentleman, or is an English gentleman of the old... He was born before the Second World War. Mm. And, uh, and he, he, he did his two years national service. He did ten years in the Territorial Army as a, and a captain. And I think to a degree, or I got a sense from him that it was, he adapted the classic, uh, maybe British stiff upper lip of, don't complain, don't feel sorry for yourself, 
get on with life, resume family life, and and uh, carry on. And in that sort of stoicism, I think, mm. stood him in good stand, stead during his ordeal, firstly. And then secondly, when he emerged from it and resumed his life as best he could. And that's what he, he wanted to live his life afterwards as fully as he, as he possibly could. That's really interesting. It really is. So he had something within him that was uh, developed over the years by what he did and in his personality. Interesting, interesting. Now, yeah. the, the guys who... Uh, took him and held him. Uh, three people are, are believed to have been involved and other associates were actually convicted. But the three main characters in this have never been identified. The case was reopened in 2019 uh, as one of these cold cases that's back on the, the table. Will they ever, do you think, Tommy, having delved into this so much, will they ever be brought to justice? Um, well, I think the Gardaí, even by their own admission, and, and those uh, senior Gardaí who reopened the case, I think by their own admission, uh, they would say that that is improbable at this stage, Jerry. Um, but um, they, were, they were able, for example, to put to, to rest a few myths, for example, that uh, the, uh, that um, Sheehan and Kelly were, for example, killed by friendly fire, uh, which was a kind of a lie planted um, by Sinn, Sinn Féin IRA in the immediate aftermath. But bear in mind, there was absolute national outrage at the uh, deaths of, of uh, Gary Sheehan and Patrick Kelly. And the story went round, or uh, planted rather, that was... Um, sort of friendly fire fire by their own side. But in fact, the forensics, the cold case review, and um, was able to establish definitively that that wasn't the case, that uh, Kelly and Sheehan were m- murdered by weapons uh, by, by the IRA in the forest that day. When you talk about it there, it brings it back to me as well, who who lived through it. And and again, I say they were unprecedented times and and it was a a weapon used by terrorists at that time. He was one of them to try and, you know, get money, as you said, in this particular case and other things beside. We've come a long way, Tommy. Is that safe to say? I I would think so. uh, And you would hope so, uh, Jerry. Um, come a long way. I mean, for as you rightly say, for a younger generation, in, 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 you know, including mm. uh, people, uh, you know, fa- family members of mine, you know, in their teens and twenties in college, uh, I, I think they find it hard to wrap their head around what Ireland was like then times, uh, and um, how volatile it was, and and how uh, I don't know, distressing. Mm. It was very, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the the deaths of Kelly and Sheen, their, their, their funerals were state occasions and the whole country watched those funerals on the six o'clock news and that and to a degree the people of the nation came to a a standstill for them and i guess for a younger generation uh uh, uh, albeit i wouldn't presume to speak uh uh, on their behalf i don't think they have a concept of how strange uh, and, and damaging maybe all that those years were yeah, they were uh, incredibly dark indeed. And, you know, we mm. see what's happening in the Middle East at the moment, but bombs and murders and uh, yeah. awful acts like that were commonplace back then. And I think this is what your your book, uh, well done to yourself and, and Ronan uh, on the book, because, as I said, you bring out the side of the Kellys and the Sheehan families, which is new, and the Don Tidy aspect is very interesting also. But I would say about this book... People should read it, even if you lived through the times. It's well worth reading to refresh yourself again about what we went through. But for younger generations, it's a fantastic work. 
and if they take time to read it they will understand where we have come from that's why I say we have certainly come uh, a long long way uh, I recommend it it's a fine book it really is Tommy well done you've done a great job no not at all I, I, I really like it I do indeed and well done again to both of you and thank you for joining me on the show this afternoon uh, my, my pleasure Terry thank you very much all the best to take you take care of yourself bye bye that's uh, Tommy Connell in there you read him I'm sure if you're a Sunday independent reader he's a fantastic uh, writer on sport but this uh, book along with Ronan McGreevy is a really, really telling book. It is, and it brings us back to a time that we never, ever want to go back to again. My God, Colette Nugent is such a popular woman. A couple more of the messages we've got in for her. The market bar won't be the same, Jerry, without Colette. Great pint, great staff, but the very best of luck to her from a dedicated customer there. Uh, we raised the issue with Colette about cocaine in pubs. She's dead right about the drugs. I do security in pubs and clubs. What she said there about the age category is uh, correct. I'm not on about the drinks, says that listener. It's about the drugs in the pubs. Thank you indeed for that message to us. And another one there. Best of luck on your retirement, Colette, from Michael and Yvonne and Michaela. You're such a wonderful person. We're really going to miss you. And uh, another one there from John saying the market bar was the most fantastic pub Jerry I know many a great night we had there we loved the Monday club myself and Tracy and my auntie Mona always had a great sing song great characters always welcome a smile from daddy Noel best of luck to Colette from myself and John that comes in today and there are more there as well we know we've sent her all your good wishes and we sent her on our way with them but you know the thing is you heard her there she's looking forward uh, to the time that she uh, won't have the responsibility as well and that is truly understandable it really is. I was telling you, wasn't I telling you last week uh, about the long tail fella I caught out in my garden. Yes, I had a rat in the garden. Generally this time of the year they move and there's a lot of construction work going on in the area and that that's my reason for it. Anyway, anyway I nailed him last week and I, I got him and there's not a sign of anything now and I'll keep a good eye out. But in the house, yes, at home, I heard them. The little tiny feet in the walls and in the ceiling mice yes it's the time of year for mice to look for shelter as well especially I'd say with all the wet weather and that type of stuff they look for dryness and they're looking for food and that as well anyway I, I heard them upstairs and then the other day I heard them in the kitchen wall you can hear them the, the walls are lined and that you could hear them in the wall there as well I reckon there was one I'd say one that's all there was anyway put the traps down up in the attic and around a few of the places and uh, baited them with my favourite bait to catch mice which is a rasher they can't resist a piece of a rasher in the trap I have to say people will tell you put cheese in for mice and chocolate I guarantee you folks if you have mice and you use the trap put the rasher in the trap anyway put them down and bang uh, check the attic this morning and there he was in the trap the gulls for it bang got him anyway and I'd say that's the only one we have I've left another traps going around you know and leaving them in place there just in case anything happens but I reckon I have the one invader I had into the house anyway if there's more I'll get them as well because I just put put down the traps put the rashers in them and I'll nail them for sure it's a great bait I'm just giving you a little bit of advice there if you have mice in your house but I'm sure in the modern house today they're hermetically sealed there's no way in for anything in our house they could get in you know there's pipes and little gaps somebody told me that a mouse actually with a small head will get in nearly just a millimetre if there's that small of a gap they'll squeeze in and away they go now you don't want them in there and breeding and populations of them no they don't bother me that much so they don't they don't bother me that much to be honest with you. but 
for herself, no, it's a no-go. She'd run out of the house if there was a mouse about at all, I have to say. Anyway, it's nailed, it's done, and hopefully uh, the lights can go out at night time now. <laughs> Not that that would make any difference, but you know yourself. Anyway, you're at late lunch on LMFM Radio. After three, Rhoda Smith concludes our mental health series. She's talking about loss and grief today, and we have the number two in our top five countdown. Funny the way when you post a picture of a mouse in a trap, people say that's a rat. Not at all. It's a mouse. I can assure you it's a mouse for sure. And somebody wants to know, do you use uh, raw or cooked rashers? The raw rasher. It's this. It's the, what it gives off. The raw rasher you use. Put that into the trap. Is, uh, it'll do the job for you. Celia is not mad about the Beatles' new song. Well, we'll see. I'm sure it's guaranteed number one. But it's an entirely personal choice. There you go. The last ever single has just been released this afternoon. Drogheda Pantomime Society have been on. Fiona O'Connell, they absolutely love Colette Nugent and they're going to miss her immensely. Thanks indeed for that and more there besides. Cherry Hill, it's your birthday today. You live in Moneymore and Drogheda. Happy birthday to you. That comes in from all your family and friends and reminding you again that Martin Maguire's website for those beautiful uh, paintings is 23 colours. That's 23 colours across social media. Let's do this now on Late Lunch. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number two from this week in the year 2000, the millennium year. If I say that the lady singing this song was... Tiffany Mitchell in EastEnders until 1998. You know who I'm talking about? She was tea lady Natalie in Love Actually, the movie. Oh, I love that movie, I have to say. I really do. She was brilliant in it. Who am I talking about? She's appeared in Loose Women recently. It's Martine McCutcheon. Martine McCutcheon, you know her well, don't you? Number two, this week in 2000 with this one. It's called I'm Over You. Martine McCutcheon there with our number two from this week in the year 2000 called I'm Over You. Her big hit actually was the previous year, 99. Perfect Moment was a massive number one for her. And that song there uh, on the coattails of the big number one came in and made it to number two in the UK charts on this very week in the millennium year. I I don't know whether you know about her more recently. She was diagnosed with Lyme disease and it's had a a huge impact on her life. She's not been well at all with it and she's having to deal with that on an an ongoing basis but I'll always remember her for Natalie, the tea lady in Love Actually. And we'll bring you our number one from this week into round about the same time on late lunch tomorrow Friday afternoon now final break of the day coming up on the show and afterwards we conclude our four part series on mental health with Rhoda Smith from Slane Counselling and today she's dealing with loss and grief we conclude our four part series on mental health today on late lunch in the company of the principal at Slane Counselling Rhoda Smith afternoon again Rhoda Hiya, Jerry. How are you? Well, that voice sounds a lot better a week on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. What a difference. <laughs> what a difference, yes. Poor Rhoda last week. She lost her voice entirely, but she's back with us in fine form today. And we conclude this series and we thank you for uh, joining us on each of the uh, four uh, parts of this. And today you're looking at grief and loss. Look, we all know grief, it's really unavoidable, isn't it, for all of us, Rhoda, in this life? Yes. 
so unfortunately, grief is a part of our lives, uh, unavoidable and a difficult experience, but a big part of all our lives. And there's nobody that doesn't lose someone that's important to them. Um, and managing and processing the feelings can be very hard. And also grief presents itself when there is loss which is not necessarily related to death or people passing away. Mm. So any major changes in our lives, we will experience loss. So family separation, loss of the family unit, normality, relationship issues, so losing a relationship, but lose a, a network of people and connections. Also to name people that are suffering in a family member dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's, where that person is still present but is not themselves, is a huge loss and very, very difficult to deal with. So grieving can occur when someone that we love passes away, but also when we have to deal with loss. Yeah, and I'm just thinking here, as you mentioned those things, in my mind, oh God, you really uh, are, are on the money with those as well, with, which is each of them not being the loss of a person to death. But I was thinking of, you know, if somebody loses their job suddenly or, you know, their home. We've experienced this in Ireland, you know, with, with the, the crash and all the fallout from that as well. That can lead, can't it, to loss and grief? Absolutely. And the thing about it is even people like I do have sometimes clients coming to me who have retired and the change of their life is is different. Someone who has had a big change as they've moved house, moved jobs. And while these can be positive things sometimes, the huge change can create the loss of the normality and the life that they had, which will then a grieving is needed. Is there a process you go through? What I'm getting at here, you know, I've talked about this in the past, denial, anger, bargaining, uh, uh, depression and acceptance then. You know, those five, five, you're familiar with them. So I'm sure the five stages of of grief. Do do you believe in that? I, I... I think what we were all sort of sold long ago on the five stages of grief. So you're right, denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance, Mm. that we have to go through these stages and we move nice and neatly from one to the other. And then once we hit acceptance, we're home and free and we're finished with our grieving. And it does not work that way at all. Mm. So while we will experience each of those feelings, it is not linear. It's not a nice, neat process. Um, I would always describe grieving with the word random. So the likes of the feelings that can hit somebody can be very random and very sort of conflicted and mixed up. Also, the level of emotion that can hit us can also be random. So we can have those days, somebody's birthday anniversary, where we expect it to be quite difficult. And sometimes we're actually not so bad. But then there's another day, another random experience where we're walking down the road, we hear something, see something, smell something, and then the grief can give us a a big bang. So the, the types of emotions, the sizes of emotion that can hit us can be very random and we'll get waves of them. But sometimes knowing that this randomness is normal can really help us. That's so interesting and and it's important to say that, that you can't uh, you know, legislate for different people the way it affects different people and the length of time it goes on for, but you can't uh, draw a line in the sand. How do you manage it? How do you get through it? So really how I think of grief is it's like waves and 
they, we get different size, size of waves that will hit us and they will come with different feelings and emotions. So really it's about the awareness when a wave is hitting us to go with this, to breathe through this wave of emotion. And if tears come, if anger comes, to go with that as best as we can. So it's breathing and waiting for these waves to pass. Also, talking about the people that we have lost is a real help in processing that loss. And I think a lot of people from good intentions kind of sometimes avoid talking about these people to avoid someone getting distressed. But talking about the people that we have lost is really important. So managing them waves when they come and go and talking about the person. Does it ever go away, uh, you know, ultimately? Like, I, you know, I've lost, I lost my father a good while ago and my mum as well, and I still think of the most days. But with time, they say time is a healer. How do you feel about that as you move away from, from the loss? So time is a healer, but grief is love. And that love honours that person that has passed and they should be honoured and the relationship that we have with them should be remembered. And we are never not going to love those people that pass away. So we will always have grief for them. But when we're holding that love and they're not there, it feels like pain. So I think it's important. But over time, we get used to this loss. We get used to, we have to adapt to a new world where they're not there. And it takes time, but we do adapt. But as long as we love these people, we will always grieve them. And we should, because they're, they're worth it. And also to say, um, pets. So I think sometimes people can really underestimate the impact when we lose a pet, mm. that it is not simply a dog or a cat. These are family members and they should also be grieved and remembered. But whoever and whatever we're grieving, we need to remember them. We need to talk about them. We need to keep them with us because they shouldn't be forgotten. It's very nice of you to say that because I'm just thinking, as you mentioned it, it's so true because if you have a dog or a cat, they can be in your family for, what, 10, 15 years, perhaps more, yeah. and they become part of the whole family cycle and then suddenly they're gone. And I know how it affects people. I've, I've listened to people and talked to them uh, in this seat at this microphone over the years and I, and I understand yeah. that that is a grief and a loss as well. There's just one thing I, I saw there I want to ask you about. Complicated grief, what does that mean? So complicated grief is a term we use in therapy. And really what it is, it's kind of a real chronic grief that occurs in situations where the death of someone we love is very sudden or very violent, death of a child or suicides. So de these deaths are very, very challenging to accept and to process. And really, they're grief and trauma rolled all into one. And this is a territory that we're really never ready for or we're not meant to know how to deal with. So sometimes people can really struggle with these and grapple with the level of the emotions that they're left with when, when, when these people pass away in these awful circumstances. So complicated grief, it's people that can't get back into normal routine. They lose the enjoyment of life and the inability to cope with what has happened. So very often when grief is complicated and it becomes quite chronic, professional help is needed. And I take it that's the case. You know where some people can't grieve and they hold it within and it stays there. That's where you come in. 
Yeah, I think when we lose somebody, we all sort of lean back into our routine mm. because it brings us back into normality. And it can be really helpful to do that. And we get back to normal as soon as we can. But sometimes we can be too distracted in getting that back back to normal and it, it can delay grief. Yes. And I would have people coming to me who have suddenly started grieving someone that passed away 15, 20 years ago. Really? Um, so it can really um, be postponed. But I think, again, it's being able to talk about these people, being able to sort of go with these waves. And, and most of us will get through that grief. But like anything, if things pile on top of us and we're really finding it too hard and we're not making ends meet with it all and we're making sense of it, always getting support can help person through. You're fantastic and you can get in touch with Rhoda Smith at Slane Counselling. I really enjoyed our conversations. We will be talking again. But for today, thank you for joining me on the show, Rhoda. No problem at all. Thanks a million, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Rhoda Smith there from Slane Counselling. I hope it's been of help to you if you're out there and you're grieving or if you've lost somebody this afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with The Drive on LMFM Radio. We're back with the final show of the week at 1.30 tomorrow. Thanks to Eamon Doyle who guided me through the last couple of hours. It's Fleetwood Mac to say goodbye and late lunch today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.